Well, this week I took a sentimental stroll through uh, Dueling Hall, and I went to, to the uh, west side of Dueling Hall where uh, some of our babies used to be. Y'all remember that? And I was just looking. I was Again, it was just a sentimental tour, and I bumped into um, my friend, Kirk, who's a builder, and he's redoing that place, fitting it for a um, oyster pub or bar or something like that over there. You can say that in church, I think. And uh, Jesus loves children and oysters, I think. Okay, so, but I, I, I was talking to Kirk, and, and he said, man, this, it's supposed to be ready in a couple of weeks. It's called Saltine. When I mention a business, I get some kickback. Y'all know this. But I, I, he said, it's going to be ready in a couple of weeks. And like a good friend, I, I rolled my eyes, you know, that incredulous sort of, you know, shake your head, like two weeks. And then moments later, I took him uh, on a tour of, of our new space, our future home, and he said, when's the worship center and all this going to be ready? And I said, you know, a couple of weeks. And like a good friend, he rolled his eyes, that incredulous, you know, did his head like that, you know. But one, I do want to give you uh, an update. Let me back up and say this, though. Here's what I've learned this summer. I've learned, uh, looking back on these, uh, these months, that we can have church pretty much anywhere. You know that. You can have church anywhere. We, we've proven you can have church in a bar. You can have church in a church building. You can have church in a gymnasium. Uh, you'll hear at the end of the service that some of us learned that you can have a church in an impoverished village in Asia. But we can have church where God's spirit is. He's, he's with us, his manifest presence. There's liberty. Uh, what does that mean? Well, you know, some of you are afraid. Uh-oh, there's liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I'm, somebody's going to start taking a lap, right? Some of you are afraid of that maybe. But it, what does that mean? It means uh, what Jesus promised. When Jesus came, he said, I have come to what? To set the captives free. And uh, my prayer for us, wherever we're having church, whatever's going on, if the room is packed or half empty or there's just a few of us, that we would see that happening in our midst, that God would be loosening chains that bind us, that we would serve a Jesus where those words leap off the pages of history out of our Bibles and we can see it uh, in our very presence that uh, Jesus is setting captives free. There's freedom and thus uh, great joy. And somebody just said, amen. I wish more of you would, but I guess we're not that church yet. Um, next Sunday, uh, be here. It's going to be a real special day, and I believe next Sunday as we do a feasibility thing, as we walk through the building with our architects and builders, uh, we are going to let you know Sunday when we'll be in there. We'll make an official announcement, but I think we're only down to a week or two here in the gym. But come next Sunday, we'll let you know about that. And some of you have walked through uh, the church over there across the parking lot just to get a look. You're welcome to do that. It says hard hat area only. And some of you aren't doing that. Uh, I don't do it, but I got a hard head. But, you know, the children's area over by the playground area, that's to the north side, that, we anticipate that being ready uh, October, November for all of our children. But the worship center, we're hoping in just a couple of weeks, we're going to let you know on Sunday. But exciting times for our church, isn't it? And here's the great thing is God has provided for Fondra Church a permanent home. And uh, we just rejoice in that, that we can uh, exult in his goodness. And we, uh, next month, we mark our three-year anniversary, and it's just good to see what God's doing in our midst, and uh, thanks for being a part of that. Um, there's a young couple in our church that I just adore. They're just very dear to me, and I know to a bunch of you. And they have, for a better part of a year and a half, they've been um, exploring the adoption process, waiting, watching, wanting. And some of you know uh, what's involved in that. Their small group has really come around them in a beautiful way. In fact, there was a big day this week where their small group was praying and fasting for them. Now, I know this small group. They like to eat. That was a big deal for them to take a day where they just wouldn't eat. 
and pray for this young couple. And Thursday morning, I got a text from my dear friend that said, holy cow, Robert, this might just be happening. And later that afternoon, he called me and he said, we're driving a baby boy home. I think I'm a dad. And what a great moment. His, his voice quivered. He was overcome with emotion, not because he's weak, but because he's a strong man and he had a sense of the moment. And what I love about this story is this started with an older couple in our church who knew of a mom who wouldn't be fit to be a mom. And this story is a child that needs love, that needs a parent, a parent parental unit that could care for them and come around them. What a great story to see these guys coming around. I wonder if they're ready. I wonder when they brought that little baby home if they were ready for it. I remember the first time that we brought our first child home from the hospital all those years ago. Susan's mom was uh, flying in from, from the West Coast, and Susan had a moment where she, it was just one of those freak-out moments. I took her to the next room, and just some stuff came gushing out of her. She began to say, what if the baby gets sick, and we don't know how to take care of the baby? What if, what if we um, di- discipline the baby too much, or what if we discipline too, too little? What if one of us drops him on his head? What if we're not emotionally healthy? What if we weird this child out for the, for the rest of his life? And I said, Susan, we can have other children. Now, I think it's a common sensation for for parents. I think every parent brings that child home and that child uh, goes through the maturing process and that child uh, reaches some level of maturity and it's time to to leave the home, to take on the world. And and what you know, what I know is the world is scary and complex and expensive. That kid will say to his parents, I don't think I'm ready for this. And those parents will say, yes, you are. You are ready for this. Life, opportunities, challenges, responsibilities, commitment, eventually aging, and ultimately death all have a way of saying to you and I, ready or not, this is your moment. This morning, as we continue in our series, The God of Yes, we are for this morning, the next couple of weeks, going to be looking at God's yes to us as he calls us in community and to live on mission with one another. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, or you can just look at the screen. Now, you know this passage. There's a couple of verses we're going to put up ahead of it kind of as a precursor to give it some context. This is a commission. It's known as the Great Commission. It's an assignment that Jesus gave a few of his men. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Scripture um, teaches us, as it gives us counsel, wisdom, instruction, uh, there is um, always the... There's the imperative, do this. And there's always alongside it, hand in glove, there's the indicative. Here's the promise. And the God of yes, this whole series is flowing from 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises that God has given us, that they find their yes in him, in Jesus. And the promise, the, the, the imperative is go, that you and I would live that way. That we would live outside of ourselves. 
not asking if you've heard this passage before, but we're asking ourselves, are we as a church on mission? And then the, the indicative is this beautiful promise of Jesus that I will be with you. Now look how inclusive it is. Look at how many times Jesus uses the word all. Go. Teaching all nations, all people. Teaching them to observe all things. I will be with you all the time. Now, the crux of the Great Commission is verses 18, 19, and 20. I would say a third of you perhaps could have this passage memorized or familiarized. But verse 16 and 17, I want to provide us with some insight this morning for a brief moment. First of all, Jesus sends how many disciples? He sends, say it with me, he sends the 11. And there's something about this reality that I want you to grasp this morning, this, this number 11. You see, in the ancient world, the people were fascinated by numbers. And the scripture was given to us, obviously, in ancient times. Um, they were fascinated by numbers. The, the number three uh, is symbolic of holiness. The, the ancient te- temple in Israel is divided into three parts. The, the holy part, the holy, holy part. And then there's the holy of holies where they worshiped and they used the common expression, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three uh, symbolizes holiness. The number four symbolizes earth and f- the physical realm. It symbolizes humanity. There's four directions, north, south, east, and west, four dimensions, height, width, uh, length, and depth. Uh, it's, it's human. And when, when the th- th- number three and the number four uh, intersect, when they um, are multiplied together, there's the union of what is holy and what is human, of heaven and earth, of God and people. And it became a, a revered number. That number is 12. Is that right, Melinda Gann? She's a math professor at MC. Four times three is 12. Um, that became a, a holy number in ancient times. And as God weaves the story through, we see this, uh, we see it throughout. In the Old Testament, we know that there were 12 loaves of bread in the temple. There were 12 jewels or gems in the, uh, the priestly vestige. There were 12 months to the lunar calendar. Everybody knows that. And there were 12 tribes of, of Israel until the year 722 when the Assyrians who dominated the world, they decimated the northern kingdom to a point where all that was left was the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, and half the tribe of Levi. The people grieved, they ached, they mourned for this. They longed for the kingdom to be restored. They longed for 12 to come together again. Now when Jesus shows up on the scene, he calls Some disciples. He selects disciples. Different, by the way, from other rabbis. The other rabbis, they received their disciples. It was cultured to them. But Jesus, different from all other rabbis he was about to show, he selects disciples. And how many did he select? He selected 12. Jesus, right off the bat, you see, this was, um, many don't know, this was an audacious act. This was a, a clear call. It was a a defiant call to some extent. And Jesus was saying, look to me. Look to me as the Messiah. This ache and this longing for restoration, look to me. The number 12 is woven through the Gospels. And you get to the book of Revelation. Revelation 
is, is a scary book. Uh, be, be careful in studying Revelation. But the first, uh, third verse of Revelation says, blessed are those who read these words. It's just there's a lot of symbolism and metaphor and imagery in the book of Revelation. But we do see the number 12 throughout. We see, it, um, we see a city. There's a future city that God promises us. And that city has 12 gates. And those gates have 12 pearls. You've heard of the pearly gates. And there is a, a foundation with 12 walls. And these 12 walls are guarded by 12 angels. Throughout Revelation, we see this idea of 12. Of 12. And Jesus is saying... Look to me. Look to me for this, this restoration. This, this hole that's in the heart of people. And we see this symbolism carried out. But here's Jesus. And these 12 that he selects. This message that he sends. That something is about to happen here. But you see, these, these 12 weren't too much on their own. You had Peter, the denier. You, you had Judas, the betrayer. You had Thomas, the doubter. And Jesus sends out, Matthew is careful to note, good with details. He's good to note that Jesus sends out 11 disciples. And not only were they not whole, not only were there's an incompleteness to them on their mission, there was a quantity problem, but there was also a quality problem. Look at verse 17. It says what? That before he gives this great commission to these 11, this incomplete group of men, that he wants to represent the gospel going forth. He says that some believed and some doubted. Do you get that? Some of them, some of them believed and some of them doubted. And that means there is just this idea, this, this issue of not so much quantitative but qualitative, uh, there's a, a, a vacuum here. There's something about them that shows weakness. They, they need to be complete. Now, I want to say this this morning. None of us believe enough. I mean, stand up if you think, I believe enough. Go ahead. I, I, I've got all the faith that I need at all times. The, these guys, none of, them, none of them had full faith. Astonishing that they could be on the mountain with Jesus. This is post-resurrection, you know that. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and a time of great exaltation. But they, they showed out. They worshipped. But they doubted. When God, when God calls somebody in the pages of the scripture, I don't know of a single instance where someone can really say, I'm ready. I'm adequately prepared. It's my time. My tank is full. I'm ready. In fact, through the pages of Scripture, we see just the opposite. When God calls men and women out, we see a lack of readiness. Have you thought about this? God taps Moses on the shoulder. and He says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses' response is, I'm not an eloquent man. I'm slow-tongued. I'm, I'm just not good with my speech. He calls Gideon and says, set people free from the oppressor. And Gideon's response is, set Israel free? My people are the weakest folks in Manasseh. I am the lowliest in my own little family. God comes to Abraham and he says, leave your land. 
and go. Become a dad. Become a dad. Got him 100 years old. Understand there are no pharmaceuticals back then. Jeremiah, a call from God. Jeremiah says, oh, sovereign Lord, I am but a child. God calls Abraham, or Isaiah, rather, and Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He taps uh, Esther on the shoulder, and he says, confront the king. And Esther knows the, the lay of the land, the rule of the law. She says, if you approach the king unwarranted, the automatic result is death. No. To Ruth. Ruth had an opportunity to be caught up in the moment of the, of the drama that God wanted to do. And Ruth at first looks at her lack. She looks at the land that was going through famine. And like everybody I know who doesn't feel properly supplied, Ruth said, no. God, in the form of Jesus, approaches a, a rich young ruler and says, sell everything. And the, the scripture tells us that that man went away sad. And there's a great story of Samuel in 1 Samuel where Samuel is calling Saul uh, to be the king. And look at this passage, beautiful passage in the ESV. It says, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said uh, this about Saul. Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So to recap. The excuses of not being ready to live on mission, to live according to God's yes. I'm too inarticulate. I'm too weak. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too sinful. It's too dangerous. I'm too rich. I have too much baggage. I want to say this. Feeling ready is not often a precursor to being ready. Feeling ready is not often a precursor to being ready. And you and I as a church, individually and collectively, unless we go, we won't know God's presence with us. We won't know this promise that in Jesus is yes. Several years ago, I had an opportunity at the, the really the conjoling and pushing of friends to go hang gliding. Some of you know I have a pseudo fear of heights. And we were brought to uh, the mountains of, in the San Gabriels to this place where you rent the equipment and you join up. And if it's your first time, you have to go tandem. You have to go with somebody else. And they take you and they let you feel the fear. You stand at the edge of a cliff and you look over and it's a long way to the bottom. And you look up at that uh, parachute. You look back at it and you think, man, that thing's got to be full of air or this won't end well. And they say to you, they shout out, they say, ready? And I said, no. <laughs> and the person in front of me, my tandem jumper, said, yes. That person was ready. And I was very clear with my, I'm not ready. Very clear. Everyone understood. I said it loud. I've got a loud voice. Everybody knows that. I don't have an inside voice. And I said, no, I'm not ready. And this other person was ready. And because this person was ready, this person jumped. I didn't have a chance or choice not to go. I, I had to go. And when we made it, this terrifying plunge, when we made it to the bottom, I learned that it was this person's first time too. And I, I vowed that they'd never to hang glide with a 10-year-old girl ever, ever again. <laughs> but this morning, I wonder why so often we give a no to God's yes. And I'm telling you, the fruitful times in my life, 
have been risky times. Where I didn't feel prepared. But listening to his voice like we talked about last weekend. God will be enough. He alone. And I don't know what your excuse is. Maybe we named them as we walk back through the pages of Scripture. Maybe you identify with an Esther or Ruth or, Ruth or Jeremiah or an Isaiah or a Moses or a Gideon or an Abraham or a rich young ruler or King Saul. Maybe for your life it's you're hiding in the baggage and you feel like you've got too much baggage. And God wants to equip us to live as sent people on his mission, to experience his presence together in community as we get outside of ourselves. Um, we're going to um, make some motion here, some movement here as we welcome a few friends uh, to our platform. If you guys led by Drew Mellon, if you guys would go ahead and make your way. We're going to close this sermon this morning by letting these guys preach the rest of it. We're going to hear from a few of our folks who took part, who lived, sent this summer, who were a part of uh, our ministry called Hard Places that's in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Um, I know that if you were to ask them as they get off the stage this morning, if you ask them if they were ready, if you ask them if they had some excuses not to go, not to live sent, I'm sure every one of them uh, could tell you yes and could tell you a litany of excuses, a catalog of reasons of, of not being ready. But this morning, we're going to invite all of them to come, everybody that went with us this summer, to be here, and then a few of our folks are going to share with us. And uh, Fonda Church, would y'all welcome uh, this crew and just thank them for extending the gospel over there to Cambodia. One of our partners, um, I, I mentioned being led by Drew Mellon. Drew's a deacon here and has been tagged with the moniker Deacon Drew. I think, I, I think it's a good name. I think he likes it. I've heard he uses it in fights with Allie, his wife. He reminds her that he's a deacon. Is that true, Drew? Kind of all the time. He's kind of powering up on her. But Drew, you guys, um, from the beginning, from Fondren Church's beginning, we met, and Gary and I, both as we were leading the church from the very beginning, really felt like God was going to help shape our church, that we weren't going to lead uh, often like Moses and go up on the mountain and get this direct, um, uh, clear calling at all times, but we were going to listen to some of our people and what was in their heart. And Drew Mellon has been one of those young men in our church. God has broken his heart um, for that part of the world and for the, this whole un, injustice, uh, uh, this reality of human trafficking. And uh, Drew, were you ready to go this summer? Were you ready at all times to lead it? Are there excuses you could have? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love going. And, you know, I've been to Cambodia now, I think, six times in the few years that I've uh, worked with the hard places. And this was Fondren Church's third team trip. Okay. And to introduce the people on the stage, Drew, we're talking to, and these are... Uh, Sisters here, Gwen and Grace Pruitt, and their mother. Raise your hand if you would. That's their mother. You can't tell who the mother is. Isn't that great? Come on, y'all. Score points with me here. This is good. You can't tell the mother from the sister, but these are the Pruitt ladies. We love them. And then Tyler Douglas in the back there, and then Amelia Metcalf, uh, and then Jordan Organ. And we're grateful for all these crew. But uh, Drew, talk to us a little bit about just community and mission and receiving God's yes. I'm going to let these guys share a little bit about their trip. Um, Jordan, if you would, uh, is going to tell us a little bit about how she saw kind of community through our team. 
Well, first of all, um, before we left, none of us really knew each other. I'd actually only gone to Fountain Church two, three times at most. Um, I'd heard of this trip through my uh, psychology professor at Belhaven University. Um, but I'm really happy to know that uh, I got to know everybody here. And once we got to know each other, um, God really worked through us. We, our dynamic personalities just helped us communicate to the Cambodian people. Um, once we actually got to Cambodia, we thought we, did, we could not get any closer because of all the flight time. <laughs> but um, once we got there, God introduced us to the Hard Places community. Um, and those people just really worked themselves into our lives. They said to us that, uh, that we actually encouraged them, but I really think it was the other way around. We, they encouraged us so much to just get through those days because there were some hard days. Um, through those hard days, we, uh, at the end of the day, we liked to debrief. We got to talk to um, everybody about how we were feeling. We got to vent. We got to praise one another. We got to laugh, cry, and everything because <laughs> it, it really did happen. We cried because there's a lot of heartbreak, but there's a lot of blessing, and we had a great time. Um, It just, it's amazing going there. It really is. Um, I'm happy to say that we're all really still close. We actually had breakfast another, another morning, and we're really, really close with the Hard Places community staff still. There's this woman named Ruth. She uh, really worked her way into my life. She uh, told me about how she became a Christian through her father's death. And um, ever since then, she's actually called me her daughter, and she's reached out through me to, through Facebook but I'm happy to say that we're really all close. And Jordan, as you pass the mic to Amelia, yeah, um, we're so glad to have Jordan. We played the uh, Cambodian staff in soccer one day, and we were walking onto the field basically thinking, is there a five-run rule to soccer? Because we knew they were just going to hand it to us. We were going to get uh, defeated. It wouldn't take long. We would get dominated. And uh, thanks to Jordan, who played soccer at Belhaven, and a couple of our other guys. Drew's pretty good himself, but we beat those guys four to two. And then we had to, we, we ran around the field celebrating and then uh, went that night and watched the Americans lose to the Germans one to nothing. But we did our part, right? I mean, we, were, we as Americans did our part to represent. Amelia, share a little bit about mission and community, just being with, with the Hard Places staff. Well, kind of what um, Drew and I were talking about, what, what he wanted me to talk about was um, the community that we saw with the Cambodian people. And I don't know, before I left for the trip, I didn't really know a lot about Cambodian history. It had been touched on in high school, if we got to it, if there was enough time at the end of the year, always in the context of the Vietnam War. So Drew had us read some books and my eyes were just kind of open to really recent horrible history. You know, just the, the genocide that was in um, the 70s. and. As a result of that, that's why there's so much darkness in the country right now. And um, so, and Allie, Drew's sister Allie does a good job kind of connecting it all. I, I couldn't do it if I tried. But um, one of the things, you know, a lot of times I think when we go on a mission trip, we think we're bringing, you know, the light to these people. But what, what I discovered when we went there is the Cambodian staffers and the people who work with those kids are amazing. I saw them come around each other and the resources they have are very little. I mean, just in their day-to-day -day lives and the, the center, everything they have is, you know, what's, I guess we brought a whole lot of stuff with us when we came. But 
what they do to encourage those kids. It's, it's, it was amazing to me to see. And I think, um, I don't know, what, I guess when we thought we were going to be bringing something to them, they really, like Jordan was saying, they encouraged us. And um, I think that, uh, I don't know, that's the, that's the hard, I don't know how else to put it. It was just, it was amazing to see them come around. Oh, I know what I was going to say, sorry. Uh, the, it's Cambodian staffers coming around and Cambodian people at the Hard Places community. They're the ones who are coming around these kids and are going to change the darkness that's in that country right now. And, it, and that's what I think was beautiful to see is that it's going to change because it's their own people. They have this shared culture and the shared history. Their families were raised by people who had experienced the war. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to see. And it was great for us to... Um, I don't know, get some perspective in our own lives uh, about the, the struggles I think that I, that I deal with is not anything compared to what they've seen. Uh, I have a cool position of being a part of Fondren Church, but also um, being on staff with the Hard Places community because I get to see how Fondren Church fulfills the Great Commission through global partnerships. Uh, two main ways. You know, people have physically gone to Cambodia. This is the third trip, as I said. So, you know, there's starting to be more and more people of this congregation who have been on the ground there and have seen what's going on and who know our staff. Um, but then everybody isn't called to go there. Everyone can't physically go. But because of this church's relationship with the Hard Places community, people are being set free from oppression from sexual slavery, people are coming to know Christ. Um, this is not, and you hear a lot about the hard places if you've been at Fondren Church over the three years that we've been here. Um, and it's not just this abstract name. And that's one thing I want to kind of get across today is that this community of people has been there and seen it. And some of you others, Brent Johnston, uh, the Whites, you guys have been there and have seen what is happening. And in, in that global community, that coming together to really um, proclaim the kingdom of Christ, not just as an American thing, but as a global, a global thing. It's not an abstract relationship. It's a very real, concrete part of what this church is doing uh, around the world. And the people that go on this trip, there's a lot of need in Jackson. You know, but the people who go on this trip have an experience, and a lot of them come back here and get involved with different ministries in this neighborhood and in this, this city and, and make the, the world where they live better. So it's not just a going far away and then coming back and going back to normal. And if you ask any of these people if their lives have been changed, they're all going to tell you yes and that they're not the same people who went. And I know each of them, and I know each of the people, uh, Morgan Parker, who's not here, I know is very involved in, in the community because of things that God stirred up in her in Cambodia. Um, so I have an awesome privilege of, of getting to work with the hard places, but also getting to take you people to see what's going on there. And I know that's not everyone in this room, but as we continue to go, hopefully year after year, I hope more of you will consider going. Next summer, we're looking at probably doing July. Um, so if that's something that stirs your heart, go ahead and start praying about that, because we're going to do sign-ups early this year, probably more like December so that we can get kind of on top of it a little earlier. But I just encourage you guys to consider that, to consider um, 
going to South Africa with Restoration Hope or to Mexico with uh, our other partners as well because uh, I've been um, going on mission trips and it's been a part of my life since I was 12 years old. My sister took me on my first mission trip and I know how much that has shaped me and has, has led me not just to wanting to do that around the world but to do it here in Jackson as well. So know that your church, Fondren Church, is not... These aren't just names they're throwing out. This is something that's very real and very much a part of, of why we're here and, and what we're doing. And you guys, I'll tell you in front of them, it was a great honor to be with all of you. Um, a couple of you I've known for years and known real well, and the others of you, it was really the first time to, to hang out. And um, y'all love your pastor, don't you? I'm the same out of town as I am in town, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. Yeah, just nod your head. That'd be really important at this point. But no, I love you guys and just love. I know that you... Um, you had various stages of um, unreadiness and unworthiness and too, too little of this, too much of this. But God, he equipped you, didn't he? And he prepared you and he gave you grace in that moment. And we together experienced his presence as we were in community and on mission uh, together. Uh, join with me. I'm going to pray for these and for the work that it would continue and even grow in its fruitfulness. God, we're grateful for Drew and we're grateful that uh, you've used him as a, as a servant leader here to point not just his own small group, but our church as a whole toward this, this dark place, this epicenter of, of human trafficking. And God, your word tells us that we're to go and we're to make disciples and we're to teach all things and we are to, to, to bring Jesus and to see Jesus and to open our eyes and to experience the good news of the gospel. And we were all uh, reminded, Lord, that you're there. You're there amidst those people. You're there in that church in the province, and you're there in the ministry of hard places. And Lord, it, it, it exceeded a vacation. We laughed and we had fun as we were a team together. But Lord, we, we live sent, and these, these people were examples to me. And I thank you for um, their obedience to go. And Lord, I know the enemy would want to have his way with them now, uh, post-trip to uh, for the, the soil to become hard or rocky, for them to fall away. And God, I pray that you continue in breaking their hearts and their desire to, to see the gospel go forth and, and to, to change lives and to see people be released from their captivity. God, I thank you that as we worship each week as a, as a plate or a bucket or a basket is passed around, Lord, that we can worship you and that there are tithes and offerings that go far beyond the buildings and grounds here. And God, I pray that you would lead us to greater realms of generosity. Lord, that we would experience the gospel. And Lord, that as we experience, Lord, that we would uh, be able to express it in ways, even in dark places, even in far corners, even right here in this neighborhood. And Lord, uh, just to think that as we were in Cambodia, there were uh, kids in West Fondren who were at camp this summer. Uh, because of your work in the hearts of people, seeing needs, responding to those needs, and giving generously. Lord, thank you that when you tell us to go, to make disciples, to go to all nations, Lord, you mean it. And Lord, you will be with us always. I pray for your presence in the lives of these people, our friends, my friends. In Jesus, amen. Thank you all. Let's give them a hand as we uh, appreciate them. Colossians says it this way, that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. My prayer this morning, 
Um, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks about our values as a church as we orient ourselves to some great news, some new happenings. Uh, we talk about enjoying the gospel. We want to be a Jesus church. The good news that we have is just that. It's good news that ought to be heralded, that ought to be experienced. And we want to live in intentional community. We want to move away from those pockets of individualism, isolation, comfort, convenience, selfishness toward each other. Proverbs 18.1 says that if, if you live in isolation, you spit on the common good. Uh, we, we, we want to move toward each other and be on mission. Um, I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and then we're going to do as we do, as become our custom as a church family, to observe communion before we go, to just come around the elements, the, the bread being the representative of the body of Christ and the juice being representative of the blood of Christ shed for us. Pray with me. God, we do want to worship you. Lord, now as we continue to bathe this service in prayer, we want to, Lord, understand that we do this in remembrance, in remembrance of you, our Savior who calls us, who equips us, who, who readies us, who makes us worthy, Lord, you've said yes in the cross. You've said yes to us being released from our own captivity. And yes, that we are free, that we have the forgiveness of sins. And it covers every one of us. It covers every part of us. And as we come to take the elements this morning, to do this in remembrance of you, we want to worship you, a great God. And our remembrance is one of gratitude. Would you stand with me, church? And the, our leaders are going to be around the corners of, uh, of this place. And you'll, just, you'll go in front of the person in front of you. As you approach the elements, you'll take the bread first. You'll grab a piece and just the corner, not your finger, but just the corner of that unleavened bread. You'll touch it into the juice. And they'll say to you, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. As you receive those elements, you just say amen aloud or in your heart as you acknowledge um, your Savior. Let's worship Him as we remember Him this morning.